Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your host, Doug Sweeney. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I am your host, Doug Sweeney, and I'm joined today by my friend, Dr. A.K. Lama, a Beeson alumnus who is a leader in multiple missions and ministry agencies all around the world. We don't have time to mention them all, but let me say for now, AK is the director of South Asia Ministries for Words of Hope. He serves as executive director of Transforming Leaders in Asia, and he's involved in many other forms of ministry as well. This past week, he has been our featured speaker for our Missions Emphasis Week. We call it Go Global Week which emphasizes cross-cultural ministry. And uh, we have been deeply blessed by our brother, Dr. Lama, as he's uh, ministered among us. Thank you, sir, for Thank being you. with us. We love you, and we're grateful to have you on the podcast. How about let's introduce you to those listeners who don't already know you or don't already know about you by asking you just to tell us a little bit about your, your background. Uh, how did you come to faith in Christ? And how did you come to sense that uh, God was leading you, at least eventually, into ministry? Dr. Doug, thank you once again for the invitation that uh, I had and my wife had for this Global Emphasis Week. We totally enjoy. It was a great opportunity to once again reconnect with a family, you know, I would say mm -hmm. the Beeson family. Yes. I was born and raised in a devout uh, Buddhist family, and my parents were temple caretaker. Mm. And one of my daily chores would be to keep the temple clean. And when I was when I was in ninth grade, I met a first Christian. He was my teacher, and I was deeply impressed by his character. Mm. He was a man who would never lose his temper, very humble, loving, and caring. He invited me to his family prayer meeting, and then presented me an English Bible, and then also introduced me to his church. I was fascinated by the teachings of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. uh, something that I never heard, like loving your enemy. Mm -hmm. you know, in our tribal culture, we don't love enemies. <laughs> we try to take revenge, you know, and mm -hmm. settle it, make it even. But loving your enemy and then forgiving the sinners and then talking about turning your other cheek when somebody slaps you was very fascinating. But when my parents came to know about my fascination about Christianity and my going on and off to the church, they were very angry. When I tried to explain why Christianity is a worth exploring religion, my older brother, in his anger, he almost tempted to kill me. He threw the, a lamp filled with kerosene burning oh my. over my head. I Somehow I escaped, I ducked my head and I survived. But he asked me to leave home unless I changed my mind. I left home for three days and wandered in the forest, reflecting on whether it is worth defending Christianity, which I have hardly come to know. I hardly know anything about Christianity. So after three days, I decided to return home and express my apology to my family and ask their forgiveness. And I promised them that I will not go to any church and I will not have anything to do with Christians anymore. I completed my high school and then went to study veterinary science in 1980. And lo and behold, the Lord surrounded me once again with a group of students, so loving and caring. They were all my senior students. 
And I found out later on that they were all belonged to InterVarsity Bible Study Group. <laughs> and I was grateful to them because they helped me a lot. So when they invited me to the Bible Study Group, I could not say no. And one going leads me to another going because they are always loving, caring, good food, good friendship, and genuine love, genuine care, you know. So I started enjoying the Bible study because they would also give me opportunity to ask uh, tough questions. And there are times I would point out to them that how Christianity is such a great religion, but Christians are not great and Buddhists mm -hmm. are much more better than mm -hmm. Christians. And they would accept that. They would welcome me to participate in spite and they will never get hurt. They will never get offended. They will still invite me. So I kept on going for two years to that Bible studies. And in the process, the word of God has begun to convict me. I already began to realize that I am a sinner. I needed forgiveness. And Jesus, no way, I have nothing against Jesus. I had many things against Christians, but nothing against Jesus. But uh, fear of persecution and risking my future with suffering and isolation and rejection and my personal doubt about my ability, whether I will be able to follow Jesus Christ, mm. kept me away from any public confessions. And I thought better just quietly follow Jesus Christ until one day on 24th, October, 1983, in one of the evening fellowship where we were sitting, I found myself fully convicted. My fear were gone. I felt so much confident and the love of God filled my heart and I was standing in tears and asking forgiveness publicly. And that day, the Lord helped me to surrender my life. The Lord accepted me as his child. Mm -hmm. That was my turning point. So I don't want to say I accepted Jesus Christ. I would say, Lord, have mercy on me because mm -hmm. I had every explanation why I should not follow Jesus Christ. Yes. But the Lord gave me confidence that he will enable me to follow him. Wow. So following that wonderful experience, I wanted to leave everything and become evangelist. But my mentor, the InterVarsity groups, they guided me to finish my veterinary studies and then return home and serve the government as I was a government-sponsored student. So I served the government for five and a half years. In 1984, I graduated with very good results. I topped in the university at the fifth rank, mm. which was... Uh, a miracle to me myself <laughs> because in the first year I was almost going to be ejected from the university. I got so many D grade, <laughs> but you know, students were all surprised. I think it's all because of the fellowship of Christian students, those who encouraged me and gave me a clarity in my life and, and vision. At the end of the completion of all my obligations with the government, uh, I still had some doubts if the Lord wanted me to serve him full-time as a Bible teacher or could serve as a veterinary doctor and still serve the Lord. But I, somewhere inside, I had an urge that I, the Lord deserved my full attention, 100% of my time. And he expressed his will and desire through three different resources. First, my context kept coming in my mind and again and again. In my context, I saw the scarcity of the qualified Bible teacher. Mm. And also I saw the desperate spiritual poverty in our society, mm. in Christian community as well as non-Christian community. Second, the counsel of the mentor, you know, who were beside me always said, you know, 
If you love the Lord, you must trust him fully. Have faith in him and trust him for your present and future. <laughs> the only reason if I was a little bit uh, hesitant to come out of the government job was financial security. Mm. But the, my mentor says, you know, trust him, have faith in him. And the third, the Lord spoke to me from Psalm 8410, one morning, just the day I completed five and a half years. I should have done only five years of government job. The day I completed five and a half years, I would do normally every morning quiet time. And that particular morning, Psalm 84 was my study. But I got stuck in verse 10 mm -hmm. and I quote, it says, better is one day in your course than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Mm -hmm. You know, while being five and a half years in the government, I knew how many wickets I was dealing on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the Lord was showing me, your job is to come with me and give your full time, 100%. Wow. So I just could not walk away from this text. Finally, on June 30, 1990, I resigned from the government job and joined InterVarsity Campus Ministry to work among college students. It was a big financial adjustment. <laughs> you know, I was getting plus 30,000 and then suddenly I get only 1,500. <laughs> and my family members, all of them, they thought I'm, I've gone crazy. Uh, I needed counseling, uh, some kind of a <laughs> clinical <laughs> help. But my wife and I had complete peace and joy. We had no in a, even out of fear for the future, we felt that this is what we needed to do for a long time. So that's how I joined the ministry. My goodness. <laughs> well, and then what happened after that? Did you go to a different kind of school after that? Did you get fully involved right away in the practice of ministry? How did you prepare for the large scale ministries that you're leading these days? See, the wonderful thing is intervarsity, you know, it's a you are trained right from the student days in an inductive Bible study. So in the beginning, when I joined the ministry, uh, to be honest, I was very skeptical of going to seminary. I thought the Lord was returning just tomorrow, anytime. It will be a vestige of money and time to go to seminary. Right now, people are perishing on the campus. You know, mm. These young people, they need to know the, know the Lord. So both my wife and me, you know, we were already academically trained well enough. She was a medical doctor and I was a veterinary doctor. And I remember one of the greatest expositors from Bobby Song, who was also working with IFES InterVarsity. He was also a medical doctor. He never went to seminary. So I used to see him as my model. I said, we don't need to go to seminary. We can serve the Lord. Only, I think at the end of eight years, the Lord started speaking to me that, I need to go through training. Mm. You don't have a credential to teach these people who have already gone to seminary. <laughs> mm. And there were many occasions when questions were asked and I answered biblically though correct, but they would say, what credential you have to say that way? Mm. Are you trained from any theological college? Which theological yeah. college you have the degree? They would ask that question. Mm. Then I realized now I should prepare. Well, I know that eventually you made your way to Beeson Divinity School, right. but uh, how'd you get from that part of your story to the U.S. and to Beeson? Interesting. You know, these college students who were graduating, whom I was ministering, when they came, they went to their church, they realized that many pastors, they needed to hear me. So they organized pastors' conference. 
I still remember, you know, it was a unique. 80 pastors came in there, and almost every pastor who had come there, they were worn out, confused, tired, because of the low salary, complaints from the deacons and elders, and the uncertainty of the future of their children. They were there because somehow some of these graduates from the college sponsored them and said, go, listen to A.K. Lama. <laughs> so I was there, and I five days I spent time mostly on teaching the Word of God and sharing my testimony and spiritual formation. On the last day, almost everyone were in tears and says, we'll go back and serve the Lord, mm. no matter what happens mm. to our future. Then I realized that the most important person in the Christian community is the pastors and leader. If we want to transform the society, we need to have a transformed church. But how the church will transform if the pastor himself is demoralized and mm -hmm. discouraged? Pastors are always giving, but they have no one to give. Yeah. And I could feel a clear calling that I need to take care of these key effective people in the Christian world who are instrumental in empowering the Great Commission of the church. They have to be much more passionate than anyone else. So started looking for training. If I had to train them, I need to be theologically trained. So I shared this concern with some of my friends. And one of that friend happened to be the general secretary of Asia Pacific Baptist Federation. And sometime in 1987, there was a Baptist World Alliance conference at Samford University. And he happened to meet Dr. Timothy George. Mm. And Dr. George was also wanting to train any Asian leader. He says, his name is Reverend Boney Ray. So he said, Reverend Boney, I have an application. If you find a, a right candidate, give this application and we will take care of his tuition. Mm. He went back to India and it seems like for three days he was praying and every time he closed his eyes, he saw my face. Oh. <laughs> and so he finally calls me and he says, would you consider to go to Beast and Divinity School? I said, where is it? He said, Birmingham. So I thought Birmingham, UK. And Beeson I never heard about. I knew I heard about Wheaton College, Fuller. I was dreaming to go to a big college. Yeah. He comes back again after seven days and he says, you know, you never know the Lord can do from small things to a big thing. Mm -hmm. Consider to go to Beeson. Wow. So he insisted. So I filled the form and I sent to him. Well, that's how I'm here. I'm sure I'm glad you made it here. <laughs> uh, I have important questions to ask you about what the Lord's doing in your ministry right now. But mm -hmm. can I ask you just very briefly, what was your experience like when you made it to Beeson? Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Initially, first three, four days was a struggle. I was still wondering I made a right choice. Uh, some of the funny experience, like I locked out myself, you know, I didn't know how to oh, function. Yeah. I didn't know how to use phone. I didn't know how to use anything. It was a cultural shock. So first few days was a struggle. But as soon as I began to join the class and made some friends, wonderful, wonderful experience. The faculty, staff, fellow students, everywhere, everyone was there to help me. Mm. loving care concern I found like a another family mm. it's a, it became a second home wow. a wonderful experience 
That's great. And I know after Beeson, you went on for a PhD in yes. Old Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, my yes. former school where you and I first met. Correct. So uh, <laughs> that's something that's special, at least for the two of us. I'm not yeah. sure we need to draw our listeners into all the details of our relationship, but it did begin that's at my right. former seminary. And then when I came to serve as the Dean of Beeson, I was thrilled to learn that you had begun your yes. uh, U.S. part of your ministry journey at Beeson. Correct. Yes. When you were done with all the training mm -hmm. and the Lord took you uh, back to India, other parts of Asia to do ministry, what did he put on your heart and what were the experiences initially that led you into the field of ministry where you're active as a leader these days? Yeah, you see, uh, my whole concern was to go back and reach out to the pastors, train them help them to understand how their life is so important, their ministry is so significant for the future of the churches, for the future of the kingdom work in India. They are the people, they are the one who through which God will make history. So that's my desire. But I was still wondering, where is the platform? So looking for opportunity, how to go, and I didn't have a funding. The TLA ministry that we started here didn't have enough fund for me to support. Yeah. to go there. Yeah. It was a very humble, small, few friends we were supporting. So I ended up going to serve as a pastor of a Ceylon Baptist Church. It's the same person who in introduced me to the school. He was associate pastor and he, they were looking for senior pastor. Hmm. They lost the senior pastor, so I was immediately hired as a senior pastor. But one thing leads to another. When I was hired as a senior pastor, meanwhile, the General Secretary of Council of Baptist Churches, one of the largest Baptist umbrella in Northeast India, which has more than 8,500 500 churches, eight seminaries, yeah. <laughs> six hospitals, three yeah. nursing schools. They lost their General Secretary. So the search committee nominated my name. And, and I think it's all because of maybe the relationship that we had. People knew me many ways. In no way I qualified for that post oh, because I was not I was not even an association or a yeah. church. What a big job yeah. you move into. I was in the university ministry, which is a parachurch. <laughs> yeah. So when I was invited, I had to show my integrity and I say, I made a commitment to this church. I cannot say yes. Hmm. Unless the church themselves sent me on deputation. As anyway, the church was part of that council. So they approached to the church and the, finally the church dedicated me and sent me on deputation as a general secretary. So wow. five and a half years I worked. But when I joined, I told them, see, I have come with a commitment to do the training and equipping, encouraging, empowering pastors. So I will take care of the administrative needs, but my perspective is interdenominational. I will be committed to train pastors from every denomination. You, will you allow me to do that? Mm -hmm. And they all agreed. Right. So TLA became integral part of while I was the general secretary. So five and a half years, the Lord used me mightily. And then after that, I came out and I realized that I need to give more time to the pastors. You know, the more you become engaged and you realize, no, you don't have enough time for, for the pastors. And because too much of administrative work in the council. Mm -hmm. So I, they actually wanted me to continue for 15 years, but five and a half years was, I think, good enough. I said, whatever changes, um, reformation or development that I could do, and perhaps 
it's not worth for me to mention what good they will tell you. The very fact that they asked me to continue means they were happy with my work. Yeah. But uh, I decided to focus more on training pastors and yeah. you know serving the pastors. Well, what an education, though, in institutional yes. leadership. To, yes. to use a biblical metaphor, a baptism by fire, yeah, <laughs> yes. institutional leadership, my word. Yeah. So we have been for almost 17 years now in India after we returned from here. And God blessed our ministry. We grew up uh, from two of us to 110 uh, you know, team and uh, working among 18 different languages. Hmm. The, the council was focused only among the Baptists, but this has broadened my horizon to all denominations. Mm. And that way I have reached out beyond the Northeast India to all the way to Northwest of India, Central India, and even in the country like Bhutan and Bangladesh. So it has really broadened my... So that's why I feel that this was a good move to come out and you know do what God has asked me to do. Oh, that's great. Mm. So I want our listeners to pray for and support your ministries in the present. So let's kind of fast forward to the present day. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a thumbnail sketch? You're involved in so many different ways in ministry in India and beyond. Mm -hmm. But is it possible for you to give us a thumbnail sketch of the the range of ministries that you're involved with these days so we can ask our listeners to kind of get behind you and support you. Sure. Uh, we are uh, major on social media. We try to reach out both Christians and people from other faith through social media. And after that, we will do follow-up and then we will invest our time in disciple making and then training. And our method is to establish our presence in the community as a community development worker. We don't call ourselves church planter and evangelist. We are community development workers because we believe in holistic development and ho holistic growth of the community. So we focus on like education and skill development, training centers, sustenance and health care projects, counseling and prayer centers. We don't use the term church, but we do establish prayer centers where people from all faith can come and pray to the Creator God, the Almighty God, mm -hmm. you know, who sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, for all humanity, not only for Christians. So that's the way we try to reach out the community. And our primary focus is impoverished and underprivileged people groups, because they are the ones who are neglected from all sides. And our geographical targets are mostly unreached places in the northern part of India and the western part of India, places like Bhutan and also some places uh, bordering India in Nepal and Bangladesh bordering India. So those are the places we are working. And I know you well enough to know that the Lord has been at work in and through some of these ministries in a very powerful way. Yes. And I don't want to overdo the differences between ministry in the U.S. and ministry in the parts of India and Asia where you have uh, leadership responsibilities. But there are some differences, and one mm -hmm. of them is someone like me goes to ministry conferences, clergy conferences today in the U.S., and a lot of what we talk about are problems and divisions and decline and so on. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of those meetings, I'm always longing for a little bit of um, a glimpse into the ways in which God is continuing mm -hmm. to act in the world, saving people from their sins, sanctifying them, making disciples through people's ministries. Mm -hmm. 
I happen to know uh, he's doing that in and through your ministries. Yes. Are there some special ways that might be an encouragement to our listeners mm-hmm. uh, in which the Lord's been at work that you might share with us? Uh, see, uh, one of the things that I would like to share is the context of India is slightly different, as you know, because of the political situation now. Last mm-hmm. uh, 10 years it has been slightly different where unfortunately too much of uh, anti-christian campaign and fake news and propaganda so that has been a little bit uh, we read of, a lot in the u.s yeah. those of us who pay attention to world yeah. news yeah read a lot about uh, yeah. narendra modi's hindu nationalism yes. and crackdown on christian ministries exactly yeah which is frustrating so but in spite of the fact, you know, even in, in the midst of that, there are a large number of people are, you know, responding to the gospel. Hmm. They are coming to Christ. Hmm. This, you know, uh, I keep on saying that you really don't need a rocket science and you didn't need a great you know, technique to reach out people. People come to Christ because they see the work of the Holy Spirit and they are convicted by the Holy Spirit. They just come. Mm. And they receive healings, they receive miraculous touch in their life, they see the change in the life of their children, in the life of their husband, and they can see the truth in it. So that's what we are excited here in India when we are serving. We see that is going on in spite of the, and so we don't want to focus too much on the persecution aspect or the fear aspect. We are just excited. I also keep on saying, that we thank God that we are on the mission field. We really don't have a luxury of debating on theological polarizations or theological opinions. We just want to serve the community. And the Spirit of God is ahead of us. Wherever we go, He's already at work. Mm-hmm. We just we need to join. Mm-hmm. So that's the luxury we don't have in India, but we have a joy of seeing that fruits of coming. Wonderful. You know. <laughs> All right, we want uh, to be at BSEN and among the podcast listeners, we want to be praying for and supporting you and your work. Give Thank us you. a few ways in which we can be uh, behind you prayerfully and financially as well. Please pray for the safety and the security of our field workers. You know, as I say, justice and fairness of the system and tightening of very strict regulatory rules and uh, you know, suspicion against Christian NGOs, particularly, hmm. you know, that has increased lots of paperwork. I go through that now. Hmm. Uh, you have to make sure that everybody is happy. Uh, yeah. uh, you satisfy them with a lot of paperwork. So one must leave with much uncertainty in prison situations. So there is a, always, you know, I still have, there are certain things going on that I'm still uncertain how that will end. So hopefully, but that also helps us to remain on our knees. Yes. <laughs> it brings us close to God. In the last 10 years, as I say, there's so much of uh, anti-Christians fake news or propaganda has gone that just to clear, clarify or clear those misconceptions it itself is a huge load before you present the good news. You know, you have to clear, first of all, those wrong perceptions that people have about Christianity. And that is where, you know, we have to build a bridge with the community. We have to help them to understand that what you're hearing is not right. We do care for our country. We do care for our people. We love you all. Hmm. So that is right now we are doing. So pray for us that we'll be successful in doing so. 
Uh, right now, we are also building a training center. Uh, we'll have around 138 pastors accommodated there because this informal training is a very important, significant part in the life of a pastors and leaders. They don't have uh, any other training center in that areas mm -hmm. where they will focus more on, you know, Bible center training. You know, it's a biblical exegesis which teach. Uh, we talk about spiritual formation. We talk about, you know, nurturing your relationship with your family and with your elders and deacons. We talk about, you know, how do you develop your own spiritual life in such a way that your characters is go before your charisma. All that, uh, you know. So we have been doing this training for since 98. But we don't have our own training center. It becomes very expensive if you rent a hotel or any retreat center. So we are in the process. Almost 60% we have completed, mm -hmm. but we still need around $850,000 to finish it. And once we have it, then we'll have a, you know, uh, different phases of training for 15 days or one month or three months or six months. And pastors are excited about it. They are waiting for that opportunity. <laughs> mm. Sounds great. Listeners, if you want to get behind this, uh, you may email me directly at Beast Divinity School. I'll be happy to put you in touch with Dr. Lama. So, uh, AK, we always like to conclude our mm -hmm. podcast interviews by asking guests, especially guests who've been walking with the Lord for many years and have been involved in ministry leadership for decades. Mm -hmm. Does God still continue to teach oh, yeah. mature disciples after all these years uh, new things? Yes. Uh, so I ask you, is there something you might encourage our listeners with? That, yes. uh, you know, that's a response to the question, what's the Lord teaching you even now after yes. all these years of walking with him? Yeah. You see, again and again, Dr. Dog, as I engage with the pastors and leader again and again, it keeps on coming back to me as I see the treasury in the life of many leaders, uh, many sincere men and women of God, mm -hmm. but they fall apart. So somewhere we have not really emphasized enough the wisdom tradition, the wisdom of life, hmm. the golden thread in the scripture, which Dr. Willen Van German used to always talk about. Yes, our mutual friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we talk about the crimson raid, the redemptive history. We talk about many other things, but we don't talk about the wisdom traditions. Wisdom tradition is that teaches you about how do you take care of the integrity of your heart, how do you nurture your relationship where you emphasize virtue more than charisma? Mm -hmm. It's not about how much you have achieved, but the question is, how did you achieve that? You know, that's the real question. Yeah. So we have started now in our training, and the Lord has been speaking to me uh, more on a wisdom teaching, mm -hmm. helping our pastor and traditions to understand, do you realize what is going to last with you? How your children or grandchildren will remember you as a man and women of accomplishment or men or women of love, selfless love, sacrifice and service. Someone who always maintained you know, integrity in his ministry. Uh, that those are you know we are all human beings we are tempted mm -hmm. and we want to do uh, you know we want to be successful but we don't realize uh, that ultimately what it counts is about your success in the eyes of the Lord not in the eyes of the people 
<laughs> Amen. You have been listening to Dr. A.K. Lama. Uh, Dr. Lama is an alumnus of Beeson Divinity School. We are proud to say he is a ministry leader in a variety of ways in India and beyond other parts of Asia today. He is a dear friend. Uh, and he's been here all week long ministering to our community uh, during this Missions Emphasis Month. We call our Go Global Week. So thank you, Dr. Lama, for being with us today. We're very grateful for your time this week. Thank you, Dr. Mark. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Please pray for Dr. Lama and his ministries. If you want to support them, drop me a line. We love you. We're praying for you. And we say goodbye for now. been listening to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from the campus of Samford University. Our theme music is by Advent Birmingham. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our engineer is Rob Willis, and our show host is Doug Sweeney. For more episodes and to subscribe, visit BeesonDivinity.com slash podcast. You can also find the Beeson Podcast on iTunes and Spotify.